Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Peter Strzok opens, the FBI opens a Russia investigation on July 31st, 2016. Peter Strzok is the lead investigator. Within the next 15 days, he says, I can protect my country on many levels. No way he gets elected. We will stop him. We have an insurance policy. Now, that seems like at least I think a lot of regular folks would interpret that as more than just casting a cloud on what the FBI ultimately did. I mean, it's one thing to say Trump's an idiot. It's another thing to say we got an insurance policy. It's one thing to say Trump's awful. It's another thing to say we're going to stop him, especially when those statements are made within 15 days, just days after you've launched an investigation into that individual. Would you agree? Um, And I think the important thing here is the time period we're talking about, because those messages in the July, August period, which we found extremely concerning and antithetical to the core values of the FBI, um, concerned, as we noted, the Russia investigation, and as you noted. um, And that's why we had so much concern about what occurred in late September and October. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Horowitz, was Peter Strzok put on special counsel Mueller's team? Uh, He was. So again, just the guy who hates the president, the guy who ran the Clinton investigation, the guy who ran the Russian investigation, then gets assigned to the special counsel team. Wow. Welcome to Stacey on the Ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thanks for being here with us. So Representative Jordan is giving a timeline. He's connecting the dots. How did this man, who has all of this bias and animus towards President Trump, go from the Clinton investigation to the Mueller investigation. And he didn't just go in as someone who was on the team, someone who was, you know, reviewing documents or someone who was supplementing the team by stepping in when people had other obligations, you know, family emergencies, vacations. He stepped in as the head. So in the background, he's saying, look, we hate this guy. There's a billion people who hate him compared to for every one vote there was for him. He can never actually be a legitimate president. We got to get rid of this guy. You know, it's my responsibility to do it. I mean, he's a megalomaniac. He's like sitting up thinking about how who is president of the United States is not the purview of millions of American voters using the voting booth and the electoral college. It's just Peter Strzok. It's worse than I thought. So remember when we had all the fun giggling and laughing about, you know, it's Jason Bourne and their superhero music and Lisa Page and Peter Strzok pull up in a big, huge black Escalade, the extended version, and the tires screech to a halt and they jump out and they've got their FBI jackets and their bulletproof vests on and they've got their, you know, their sidearms drawn and they're clearing corners and they're, you know, and the music is rolling and they're doing that thing where, you, you know, the stunt guys run and then they roll and they land on their feet and they're in the position with their gun up. And we just laughed and giggled and we had such a good, we were so tickled about that, weren't we? We're like, who do they think they are? Well, now that we read their text messages, we know we may be laughing, but they weren't. They were as serious as the day is long about ending the Trump presidency once they realized they kind of felt a little bit of, uh, you know, they felt kind of responsible. They were like, this is kind of our fault. 
right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they thought, you know, we're in the FBI. This is like our responsibility. We have to clear the future president of the United States, Hillary Clinton, and we have to take down Trump. And they were so serious about it. They were serious about that and they were serious about their relationship. <laughs> I just, it's one of those things where the, every time I hear it, I just, I kind of, I'm like, okay. I just try to put myself in the mindset that they have to have been inhabiting in order to have had these kinds of text messages. And, you know, we're all human. We've all done it. You text something and then later you go back through the text thread and you, you, you know, you're scrolling through your phone. You're like, did I text that? Hmm. So it's kind of like that. Like anyone can get outside of themselves, but they were outside of themselves for a long, long, long time. They were just, you know, they were just riding high. We're the FBI and we're here to make sure you are never the president. Oh, and also we're here to make sure you are the president, Mrs. Pre Mrs. Uh, president, <laughs> you know, and also don't want to leave out of the equation where we're talking about them rolling out of their big black Escalade in their fancy clothes. You know, they're not wearing a suit from like the Limited or Macy's. They're wearing some some high end, you know, tightly cut, like some laser cut suits. Their fashion is on point. Now, I don't know what they look like outside of the pictures that they've shown, which don't paint them in a very positive light. No shade. I'm just saying that the pictures that people keep putting up of Lisa, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok it's not like they look like they're actually from the movies, but you have to imagine that they're both pretty physically fit because they're active, you know, working in the FBI. And you have to imagine that they're, um, you know, they see themselves that way because of because of their communications. You just look at what they communicated. and You're like, this is how they see themselves. So you wonder. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, it also doesn't make sense. So they have him still working. And I don't know if it's because they can't let him go because he's under investigation so that he, ha he has to be at work every day and show up and sit in HR. But they still have Peter Strzok employed by the FBI. The other one, the attorney, Lisa Page, she's no longer with the FBI. And then there's also the others, the five who have not been named who are being investigated as well. They say they're keeping their names out of the public for their protection or what have you. So, uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. We'll have to keep an eye on it here on this program. I'm going to keep covering the IG report and the developments for all of the different investigations that are going on. And part of me is doing it just because I know some people don't want me to. And the other part of me is doing it is because it's news. It's important for us to finish this thing out. The deeper into it we go, the more we see that this has just been a completely unacceptable just the whole timeline, it's just been totally unacceptable, utterly unprofessional, absolutely besmirches the reputation of the FBI and government workers who are career employees. All of it just stinks to high heaven. So let's listen to former President of the United States, Barack Obama, share with us his feelings on illegal immigrant children traveling across the border between ports of entry unaccompanied in an effort to become American citizens, it's number one. Our message absolutely is don't send your children unaccompanied uh, on trains or through, uh, through a bunch of smugglers. We don't even know how many of these kids don't make it and may have been waylaid into sex trafficking or killed because they fell off a train. We have no way of tracking that. So that is our direct message to 
the families in Central America. Do not send your children to the borders. If they do make it, they'll get sent back. More importantly, they may, may not make it. Right? So you got this. Uh, this, is, this is President Obama. He's on an interview with George Stephanopoulos. And the, the interview was quite lengthy. It was wide ranging. And he made some other comments during the interview that were equally strong on uh, the side of, of uh, you know, maintaining our national sovereignty, not allowing any, any person who wants to live here to just stroll on over the border and then get released into the United States. But there's more. There's always more. So I was doing a little bit of reading earlier today. And it occurred to me that this is all a big racket. Because there are so many people that I encounter. I can't tell you how many times. Like, and every time, this is, this is the cake taker. I encounter someone who is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. Someone who donates big. They just, you know, this is, this is a solid Republican person with a reputation. And I'll meet them. And over the course of the conversation, when the topic turns to immigration, as it often does, because it's in the news a lot, that person will say, well, we just need to let people come in. And I'm always like, I'm sorry, what? Usually I'm drinking something or eating something when they say that. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, what? I'm, did you say we need to let them come in? Yeah, we need them. We need the workers. I'm like, uh, we, we need the workers? What, what about the Americans? Uh, we need the workers. And also the Christian side of me, because at that point they always out themselves as some kind of evangelical. I don't know what kind because I'm an evangelical too. And I believe what the Bible says is that we need to obey the law. But anyway, they'll say, yeah, there's also the humanitarian side. So this is a huge racket, and I want to explain to you how it's a huge racket because every time we encounter one of those people, when, when I argue with them a little bit, and I'm not talking about me getting ticked off or losing my stuffing, I don't have to get that upset about it because I believe I'm, I have the right position. We need immigration, obviously. We need lawful immigration into this country, but we also need to do so wisely, and we need to bring people in who serve our purposes because it's just like a job interview. Being an American citizen, if you're not already born here, it's like a job interview. No one has a right to be an American citizen. We get to choose. Now, we may not have been operating that way, but that is the way our immigration system is meant to operate. So since I know that, I don't have to get worked up about it. I don't have to yell. I don't have to insult anyone. That's because I've spent enough time reading and pouring over the issue. And I've spoken to people who are immigrants. I've spoken to people who are recent immigrants. I've spoken to people who are in this country on a green card and want to be American citizens. And then I've spoken to people who absolutely hate immigration, all of it, and they want immigration levels to zero. And they don't have anybody else new coming into this country. So at least I've taken the time to at least get some other perspectives on it. I happen to be kind of in the middle. I, I believe we need some immigration, but we don't need a million people a year because that radically changes the makeup of this country in a way that is not conducive to maintaining our constitution and our way of life. Assimilation is the primary goal of bringing a person in. Once you've brought them in, your first order of business is assimilation. If we bring them in too fast to assimilate, it's the death of our country. There. Now, I've just encapsulated it for you. I never have to get mad about it. So... When I say it's a big racket, it's because if you look around, you'll see people who are reliably conservative who have morphed over the years into people that you don't recognize, namely Paul Ryan. He's one of the main ones on the right who's constantly beating the drum of we need to we need to give some amnesty. We need to. He, I mean, he's he's it's like he's been taken over by a body snatcher. 
Well, it's not him alone. It's a lot of Republicans. All Democrats and a lot of Republicans support mass immigration. There are no politicians that you'll find in D.C. sitting around at Trump Hotel International who want to take policy positions or actions or legislative movements that would limit or curtail immigration. That's why you've seen the left move to basically blur the line to the point of elimination between legal immigration and illegal immigration. Because if they call them all immigrants, then you don't have to be concerned with how many of them are just stealing into the country and have zero intention of ever learning to speak English or ever treating America the way the rest of us treat it, like something valuable that we want to maintain. There's also a problem because it's a lucrative business, because cheap workers here in this country means you don't have to go over to China and deal with all of their problems, namely them stealing every bit of your intellectual property. The religious right is a part of the problem. I actually was, you know, this this is the part that kind of hurts because, uh, you know, people call me far right. You're a right winger. You know, they're trying to insult me. And I'm like, yep, what you got? What else you got? I, I'm, I am not insulted by you calling me a right winger. If it means what I think it means, that's what I am. So next, the religious right is a part of the problem. For the past 15 years, immigration and refugee resettlement has been made financially beneficial for churches, the Catholic Church, the um, basically any religious organization that says they'll sponsor refugees can receive huge amounts of money, huge. We're talking multiple hundreds of millions of dollars from federal taxpayers to help settle refugees. You've also got Ted Cruz, who is someone that I respect greatly and, and appreciate his work on the Hill. You got, remember Glenn Beck with that whole charade he did, taking all those truckfuls of toys down to the border, which only incentivize more children to come here illegally. People like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and, you know, others have been joined by Lisa Murkowski, Kevin McCarthy, Jeff Flake, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Chuck Schumer. They've all been, they've all joined together in their quest for more illegal immigration. You got Washington, D.C. in on it. You have the activist media in on it. You, these are infested with illegal immigration supporters. It is the heart of the unit party, as they call themselves. And if you want to understand it, you have to follow the money. That's why there's such a huge disconnect between regular people out in the middle of the country like me. You know, they call us Walmart shoppers, but I happen to like to shop online at Amazon. But anyway, we think... People in D.C. want to end illegal immigration, and they don't. So we'll talk a little bit about what we can do and more. But next segment, we're going to have someone from the Libra Institute, Cesar Grijales. He's the director of coalitions. He's going to talk to us about this very subject, the latest on DACA and immigration. So stay there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We'll have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, 
Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know a 14-year-old boy whose mom is a single parent. Unfortunately, this young man has hit a lazy stretch in the road. Lately, he seems to be satisfied with doing the bare minimum. Recently, his grades dropped and his mom put her foot down. She took away a lot of his privileges and placed him under some pretty stringent accountability, ultimately for his own good. Good for her. Some of us are lazy adults because in our formative years, we were allowed to do what we felt like doing. Little did we realize that not living responsibly had damaging results in our lives. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 has some strong words to say about laziness. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. In these verses are three steps to overcoming laziness. One is identify your responsibility like the ant does. Number two, map out how you are going to meet your obligations. This is what I'm responsible for. Now let me figure out how I need to go about this. Then number three, remember that to a large degree, the outcome of your life is determined by your response. It's not a matter of what you want. It's a matter of what you're willing to do. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. There is a cure for laziness, and it's really not all that complicated or heavy. The cure is doing what you don't want to do. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. StacyOnTheRight.com is a website where you can subscribe. We also have Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. We're really everywhere for you. Hope you can catch one of those channels. Thank you so much to those who are listening to us on Terrestrial Radio. Fantastic to have you here today. All right, let's have our next guest. We are so excited to speak with um, Cesar Grijales. He's the Director of Coalitions for the Libra Institute. Thank you for joining in today. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here with you. So let's talk about this. You are coming on to talk about the latest with DACA and immigration. Of course, immigration is in the news right now with the big furor over children uh, being separated from parents, smugglers, family members, et cetera, et cetera, at the border and the surge of unaccompanied minors who are coming over the border. What's the latest? Well, actually, uh, the latest is that two hours ago, the Congress voted in uh, the most conservative uh, bill, and that failed. Uh, and now there is a more flexible bill, more moderated bill, 
that it was supposed to be considered today on the on the floor of the Congress, and apparently this is going to be actually vote tomorrow because some members of the Congress are going to be reviewing this uh, more moderated bill. That's the latest on that. Okay, so the you said the more conservative bill failed, so now we have the more moderate bill. What's contained in the more moderate bill? So part of this is that uh, in this more moderate bill, uh, some of the things that are included there is not just related to DACA, also to the reunification of the families for the kids that are being separated from their parents lately. And I think it does... I would say that's one of the big differences right there. And also a little bit of flexibility in the way and the process of the uh, DACA recipients or the DREAMers who qualifies for the DACA or will be qualifying for DACA um, in, uh, in the process to become a permanent resident and then to become a U.S. citizen. Right now, the bill who, that, that failed in, uh, a couple of hours ago, that bill was making very difficult for these uh, young people, the DACA recipients, to become a permanent resident and then uh, finally become a U.S. citizen in the future. There was a lot of, of provisions in that bill that were uh, making you know, a lot of filters to make it very difficult to then, uh, for them to become a U.S. citizen. This one is more moderated. Again, they w- this one will include a solution to reunify the families soon, for example, right now, as the law is, is, exists, uh, parents can't be with the kids in, in, a, in, a, in a location, let's say in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in jail, with the kids more than 20 days. In this bill, they will be allowed to stay, the kids, more than 20 days on those locations with the parents. And then, again, will be, will be more flexible in the process of this uh, DACA recipients to become a permanent resident and then U.S. citizen in the future. So what what is it that, because when the, the audience that you're speaking to right now is largely opposed to making it easier for people who are DACA recipients, however innocent they may be in the plight, to make it easier for them to become U.S. citizens than people who are paying fifty and $60,000 to become U.S. citizens the lawful way, who are still in line waiting for their opportunity to join American society. Why should Americans support that? Yeah, I understand. Um, I just want to clarify some things, uh, um, some misconceptions actually out there about how this DACA has been treated, the DACA recipients. And two things, actually. I just want to clarify many things. Immigration is different cases, it's case by case. For example, this week, this week we have been talking about DACA, the kids in the border, the kids being separated from the family, and we mix everything. But actually, everything is completely different. The kids that have been in the, in the, in the, the detention places, many of them, the majority of them, actually came some years ago when they, they were coming here without... Uh, uh, Without an adult, parents went sending those kids. The past two, three months, those are kids crossing the border with parents or family members. And then the DACA recipients that we were discussing, actually the president was discussing this at the beginning of the year. This is a different, complete story. So I understand the concerns of the community and the people, like you just mentioned, that it looks like they want to go in front of the line to become a permanent resident or a U.S. citizen. But it's actually not. 
because each, each case is different. For example, I, um, I became a U.S. citizen back in 2015. I immigrated to the country in 2000. But my process, because I was a political refugee from my country of origin, Colombia, my process has a specific timeline. So I became a permanent, uh, I'm sorry, a political asylum granted. Then I waited a period of time to apply for my permanent residency. I waited five years to apply for a U.S. citizen, and then I went to the whole process of learning the history of the United States, uh, improving my English and all the stuff. And then after I pass the test and, and the interview, I become a U.S. citizen. So for the DACA recipients, that will be the same thing. They will meet no place in front of the people who is already waiting. They will be their own. They will have their own uh, process. The thing is, what, what, the reason we oppose in the deals is because although the moderator is a little bit in that aspect, it's very difficult for them to become a Jewish citizen. It's not that they're going to become in front of the people who's already waiting. It's the thing that they will be for them almost impossible to become a Jewish citizen, even waiting 15 years from now, 20 years from now, to become a U.S. citizen. And the thing is that we should integrate these people to the country and to the economy because uh, at the end of the day, um, some studies are showing that the people who are already receiving uh, the DACA recipients, 690,000, are contributing to the economy in around $20 billion. So, uh, $20 so where billion, does that $20 number come dollars. from? So, I mean, what do we going to get right rid of people that is already contributing to the nation? Well, where, where does that number come from, the contribution that they're making to the society? Uh, those are um, numbers that we're getting from different studies, and I can get back to you with the sources and everything. But also there is also one source uh, in case you're wondering or some other people is wondering right now, because I obviously heard about the rhetoric of, you know, just deporting everybody else, uh, talking about just the, the DACA recipients. And that will be cost us around between 7 to 1.7, between 7 to $21 billion to deport all of them. So I guess to facilitate the process, obviously create that process for them, but to try to integrate these people that is contributing to the country that we know because they, they do the background check, then that is no, you know, people that is no, um, that, um, um, you know, bad people, and are contributing to the country to just to create a process that gives some certainty to them that in the future, let's say ten years from now or eleven years from now, they they can become a U.S. citizen. But now, as the laws is created or the bill is presented, doesn't show that certainty for them. Okay, so I have a couple of questions for you. The first one is obviously. Uh, Okay, so I, I disagree with you about the the lack of benefit in deportation because if it's even if it's the high end, you said twenty one billion for deportation, that is still mm-hmm. far less than the cost of illegal immigrants in this country, where the state costs are individually like thirty nine million. I, I live in Missouri; we spend three hundred thirty eight million. California still spends twenty one point eight billion a year on illegal immigration. So technically. One state's cost would pay for the deportation of the people that you're discussing. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about whether or not it's right or wrong. I'm just saying cost-wise, it's not a good argument because the, the costs far outweigh. We're spending 
billion a year on illegal immigration. And a new report out earlier this week has updated numbers showing that they think it's $338 billion a year we spend on illegal immigration. I also have numbers here from um, what we're spending on maintaining the children who are coming into the country illegally. And we're looking at different businesses getting $310 million a year for refugee resettlement, uh, a place called Southwest Key Programs, Casa Padre. They get $310 million so far this year. The year isn't even, we're just halfway through the year. They've already gotten $310 million for refugee resettlement. $28,407,000 plus for fiscal year 2018 to Lutheran immigration. So every faith-based organization that wants to help with settling refugees gets multiple hundreds of millions of dollars a year to help with that cost. Now, it would be different if we weren't borrowing 40 some odd cents for every dollar that we spend in the federal government, but that's not the case. So to justify it to Americans, I, I'm just wondering, because this is my second question, yeah, yeah. what is it? And I'm not I'm not being rude, please. I, I'm not angry or upset no, no, about no, no, this. No I, I'm glad uh, for you to be here. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm glad for you to be here because I want to be able to talk to you about this because I want to understand why, why should someone who is here, and I know it's the whole no fault of their own thing with the DACA recipients, but why should any person who comes into the country illegally, whether they were brought here or whether they came on their own, crossed the border on their own unaccompanied or came with a family member or were trafficked in with a smuggler, why should any of those people have anything more than a green card? Why should they have U.S. citizenship? Well, um, thank you for the question. Um, I'm going to just clarify some things. I, I, going back to the point that uh, each case is different. When we talk about the deportation of the people, we, I was referring just to the DACA. I understand that there's other people crossing the border in different ways. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, probably a little over 50% of the people who is undocumented in the, in the country right now is people who came with visa. So they overstay the visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 40%. So, 40% of our yeah. illegal immigrants are visa overstays, correct? Yeah, yes, exactly. So it's not just crossing the border. So, but specifically, when, I, when I'm talking about this, uh, the DACA is because the case, how it is right now for them, they came to the country again, not their fault. The, the average age when they entered to the country was six years old. So it means that these people don't even speak the language of the, of the country origin. 90% of them are from Central America. So they don't even speak Spanish, many of them. And the, age, the average age right now is 24, 27 years old. So it's still young people that they already lived in this country for many years. So many of them are already embedded in, the, in our communities. And you know, I'm not talking um, about them going. I'm talking about yes. why they should have citizenship. The question that I have is, let's I, say Americans are fine with point. them staying, yeah, but why, I, do mm-hmm. they, why do they need the, the, the right of citizenship, which acts as an incentive for other children to come here unaccompanied? That's why we're seeing 70,000 kids so far this year have entered across our border Look. between ports of entry coming here illegally because they, they understand. All I have to do is come as a child and the Americans I, will let me stay. How do we how yeah. do we disincentivize that if we give people who come that way citizenship? Look, I just I want to mention this. That actually, some in some point I agree with you. I mean, I'm I'm one of, actually one of the persons. Sometimes I go on, or many times I go to Spanish media outlets to speak about this. Mm. That 
immigration, first of all, has to be... Uh, we, as an immigrant, have to understand that the immigration topic in the country, uh, when the legislators take this topic and they legislate on this topic, is based on the, on the uh, um, uh, compassion that the country shows, not because they are obligated to do that. I understand that, and I always tell to my community that we should not uh, demand things to the country. We, we should accept, for example, a possibility to become a permanent resident, and maybe in the future you can become a U.S. citizen or not, but you have some sort of legality. So the things right now with this bill is that will be making difficult even to become a permanent resident for them. And I understand your point. Uh, and in my case, personal case, this is not Libre case. This is my personal opinion. I agree with you with that. On that point, I mean, if the, so if the government you know what? at some point let's say, and they allow these people to have a permanent resident, in my case, personal, I will agree with that. The thing is that the yeah, two but but let me let me just stop you there difficult. for a second. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. So so this is this is the way I see it. As as a reasonable person, you know, I'm married, we have kids. Mm-hmm. And I meet mm-hmm. people, all, all different walks of life, and the ones who I meet who are immigrants, so I, I don't have the same experiences as some people have had where Ill, immigrants of some sort have been rude or mean or what have you. Usually when I'm Correct. interacting with someone and they tell me they're an immigrant, it, you know, we're doing business or something and it, it's going great. And I'm really appreciating the work that they're doing or whatever, you know, whatever the reason we're working together on something. So it's not that I'm against immigration. I'm not. But what I'm worried about is that when we start having our compassion, because I, I feel a lot of compassion to people who your parent does something and then you turn 16 and you want to get a driver's license and you can't get one because you're here illegally. Or you apply to college, you're a 4.0 GPA, and you realize you can't go to college because you're not in-state, you're not out-of-state, you're nothing because you're here illegally. I get that. As a mom, that's a terrifying proposition. I think about our kids and what they would feel about me and their dad if that was their case. Like they'd say... Mom, why'd you do this? You know, so I understand that. It's not that I don't have any compassion, but I just, I, my concern is when we see the surge over the border, when we look at how many people are coming here illegally, and the reason that they're giving is Obama said we could come. If we come as kids, we get to stay. And he didn't exactly say that, but that is what has been, you know, put out there. It's the question is, even if we if I if I say, yeah, everybody who's here already gets amnesty, they all stay. Let's just end this. I just want to stop fighting. How do you stop the new people from coming? And I haven't been able to find anyone who can tell me how we do that if we Look, don't have some I, I kind of tell you know, how we can do that or how we can be one step forward to do that. And let me, well, let OK, me can you hold on a second? Because there's a mu- OK, there's there's music. Uh, the, so. Can you hold on and tell me right after the, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the break. We'll come back and then you can tell me because I, I do want to hear and uh, I appreciate your time today. Just hold on. We'll be back right after these messages. is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. 
At Tampa Bay, we adopted a mantra, no excuses, no explanations. The team had spent so much time living in the past, captive to their circumstances and to other people's low expectations, that they needed to learn that we were not going to be victims any longer. The same can be said for a marriage. Some say marriage is 50-50. For Tony and me, it's 100-100. We try not to give excuses or say, that's not my job. Everyone on a team or in a marriage has a contribution to make in building a winning team or a winning marriage. Marriage is hard work, but if you commit to it without excuses, it can be the greatest thing in life. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place, Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Please call your senators today. It's time to put an end to the liberals' filibuster. Tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood now. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. They want to control who comes into their own personal domain, but when it comes to the United States, it's open season. Uh Uh-uh. No thanks. So this idea that there's this magical wall, it's like a unicorn wall. It's rainbow colored and it just separates everything off. It just keeps the money from ever touching anything that might have to do with abortion. Tap it down. What happens is those terrible results end up negatively impacting society. That's what she thinks about unborn children. That woman fixed her mouth. She's like Cecile Richards' little sister. Tap it down. I won't link it myself, though, because that won't look good. My buddy over at Columbia Law, he's got connections at the New York Times. He can make this happen. Presto change oh boom oh bango Yes. <laughs> so buckle up. Put your seatbelts on, pull your socks up, get yourself ready. Prepare yourself. Gird your loins. All of those things and more, because there's so much more for us to find out. Stacy on the right. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. You can find us everywhere, streaming live to Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube, as well as live on terrestrial radio all over the country, 21 states now. So we're really glad to be with you today. And we're glad to have our current guest. It's Cesar Grijales, Director of Coalitions for the Libra Institute. And we're having a very wide-ranging conversation about how to fix the problem that we're having with immigration and there are different avenues, different people that we're dealing with. So it's not all the same people groups. Some of the people appeared in different ways and all of them need a specific fix that Congress has been unable to come up with. They've literally been unable to fix this problem the entirety of the Obama administration. And now here we are into the Trump administration still having the same discussions. Caesar, thank you so much for uh, staying over the break with us. I know your time is valuable. You were explaining how we could fix it, and I'm dying to hear your uh, interpretation of what could happen. 
Thank you again for having me. Look, I mean, we were talking about... Look, let me go back. So there are people that right now, at this moment, this week, is pointing out to, let's say, to the Republican administration for what is happening to the immigration. I don't think so. I think it's many different administrations, the problem. But also, saying the, the problem with the immigration is just a, a problem for the United States, I think it's grown. And let me tell you how we can help to fix, or, how, or what will be the avenue to fix the problem of immigration? Because you, you were mentioning that if we, let's say, create an amnesty or legalize everybody that is already here, that will be continue happening in the future. And I agree with you that potentially it could happen again. Why? Because the problem is not the United States. The problem, or part of the problem, is the countries that, in my case, I'm coming from. Because there is, you know, a lot of corruption in that government, because mm. there are uh, unstable governments, because there is a lot of violence, because there's a lot of, um, there is no opportunities for the people in those countries. So I think that we, in my case, I don't say you, probably know most of the people who's listening to the program right now, but I say this to my community. If we want to fix the problem of immigration in the United States, we actually should have to be more of demand in our countries of origin to create better opportunities for our people, for our communities back in our countries. I promise you that many of the people who immigrate to the United States probably will be stopping coming because they will have those opportunities and they will be risking their lives or putting their kids through this difficult process. So mm-hmm. it's, I agree with you. The problem in immigration is not just the United States. It's a problem in our countries, in my case again, of the origin, Latin America, that we have so, governments that are pushing away families, pushing away people, that is not creating opportunities for the people already in those countries. And that yeah. is that. So I think it's helping to fix that. I also know that the United States already have a program to help to develop these countries. But sadly, sometimes many of those uh, resources go to the grown government and they, you know, put the money well, in different places. they were largely dismantled under the Obama administration. People. Yeah, so the Obama administration actually diverted some of those dollars away from drug interdiction programs and things that were established and really working to keep some of the violence down and to keep, you know, the, the drug lords from completely overrunning the country. Mm-hmm. And as soon as President Obama redirected those funds, we saw an uptick in violence and a corresponding increase in people trying to get away from it by coming to America. So I, I do have a, I do have a question for you, but based on what you just said, I have talked many times on this program about the untapped wealth of people who like the DACA recipients, they live here in this country. And what happens is, so the, the reason they have a bad reputation is because you'll see them on television protesting and they're saying things like, you know, Viva La Mexico or, you know, El Salvador forever. They, and they, the, the reputation is they love that country more than they love the United States, but they've never been there. And they say they don't speak the language, but they look an awful lot like they may speak the language to us. So the, there's, there's a, there's a value in some of the deportations. I've read stories, in-depth research from reporters who leave the United States and go down to Mexico where into the towns where people are deported into. And what they find mm-hmm. is that people who've lived in America for an extended period of time, when they get back to Mexico, they're no longer willing to put up with the government as it is down there. They often run for office. They will set up their own businesses and they start to kind of spread that individual liberty American attitude, they spread it around. It starts to 
change the place that they, they go back into. So isn't there some value to having some of the people who are here illegally go back to their home countries to sow the seeds of liberty and to start to change their countries while we as a, as a government reinstitute those funds and get back into the business of helping El Salvador and Guatemala, et cetera, to get back on their feet to, to, to kind of change the direction? Look, I mean, for me saying that we have to send some people back just to help them to rebuild the country, um, I can't agree with that. But mm-hmm. I do agree that we need to have a more education in those countries about liberty, economic freedom, why they, they should uh, preserve the values that actually made this country great, why they should create more opportunity for the families right there. And, and I agree 100% with you that we should invest in that. And also when I mention this, I want also a really strong border. And, uh, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an immigrant to this country, but this is my country now, and, the, and I protect this country. And let me tell you, I actually agree with you, because sometimes I have conversation with friends of uh, another immigrants about if we are here, we are supposed to protect this country, love this country. And, yes, I, I, I do care about my heritage and the country sure. that I come from, but this is my country first. So I agree with you, and it gets me a little, you know, um, uh, bothers me when I see someone, you know, waving the flag of another country instead of just waving the flag also to the United States. If you want to stay here, I agree with you on that one. So that's the conversation and the, the education that through the Libre Initiative and the Institute I'm trying to get through my communities. And also, I think I, I will blame that some of those uh, situations is because the misinformation that these immigrants or the DACA recipients talking about them are having from another uh, NGOs, that the only thing that they want is capitalize in votes and canalize the votes, let's say, to the liberal ideas or liberal things. Mm-hmm. So in, mm-hmm. in my case, in, in our organization, is, is uh, do a counterpart to that and explain why, if you want to stay in the country, protect the values of economic freedom. And mm-hmm. if you have family back in your country of origin, talk to them on the, on the importance to protect those values and actually continue educating or informating your communities back in your country origin. Mm. Um, and if you decide, again, if you decided to stay here, stay here in this country, protect this country, love this country, and love the flag. You know what? I, and I appreciate you saying that. And I just think we had a great conversation and we could definitely do more segments than just <laughs> these two on this <laughs> subject. And I hope you will come back on and talk to us again. I'm, I'm, I I don't have, you know, an angry bone in my body towards immigrants or illegal aliens who are here because they're trying to escape, you know, a horrible country and America is great. But I am a realist and I understand that we can't take everyone in who wants to come. And so this is a very difficult topic for Americans. I I just I, I can't tell you how many people I've met who they really, really sympathize with people who want to come and live here. But they don't understand how we can, you know, at, at the levels that we're currently receiving people in, how do we help those people become, as you have become, American citizens who love this country and value this country over any of other course. country? We, we need time to make that happen. And so there's got to be an answer. I believe there's an answer. And hopefully, you know, th- this, is, this is the conversation that happens, but more often all over the country to get us there. Uh, you've been wonderful today. Thank you for joining us. Cesar Gajales, Director of Coalitions for the Libra Institute. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm willing to be here anytime you need me. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. We'll talk again soon. Um, so I'm, 
the at least what what I have to say about that interview is it is it does me a lot of good as a you know talk show host and as someone who holds a very hard right line on immigration to be able to have a conversation like that and I asked him some very difficult questions and he was very honest about it and I much prefer for someone to be honest and we have a given take back and forth than to argue as some other guests have done you know um we have had others on who are hold a much uh, more liberal view of immigration and they've not been able to handle the questions as well as Caesar just did. And so I appreciate that. Um, and I, I appreciate what he said. One of the most important things he said in this interview is that the Libra Institute and he personally, they advocate for people who are in the country, whether they're legal or illegal, whatever their status is for them to prioritize their allegiance to America. I, I tell you what, I can tell you based on my own personal feelings and people that I've spoken with, not to speak on their behalf, but stay with me here. I honestly believe that if we saw people advocating to stay in this country and they were waving the American flag and holding up signs that said, we are Americans too, we love you, we want to be here, we speak English and we pledge allegiance to the same flag that you do, that we would have a much less difficult time getting a legislation package through the Congress and signed and onto the president's desk because Americans would be unified in welcoming a group of people like that into our populace. The problem is that we do have a lot of, of individuals who are in the country illegally and the pictures are just everywhere of them flying the middle finger and having signs that are very, very offensive to Americans. And then the other thing that Caesar and I didn't dis discuss and I didn't want to hold him responsible for it because he's a legal immigrant. He, he actually legally went through our process and became an American citizen. So I don't want to hold him responsible for illegal alien crime, just like I don't want people holding me as a black person responsible for gang crime in inner cities. I'm not a gangster. I've never been one. I've never shot anyone. I've never owned a firearm illegally. I don't want people holding me responsible for that. But let's be real here. Oh, my goodness. We have a lot of illegal alien crime. And if you're in the audience or if you're, you, your neighbor or someone you know has lost a child or a family member to illegal alien crime, then it doesn't matter what flags are waved or what those people say, they're not going to um, get your support. And that's a huge issue. And, you know, we've had guests on the program from organizations that support these families who've lost their loved ones to, to this type of crime. And these are real people who are hurting. They're living their lives separated from their family members because the family members are dead and they were killed by, the, you know, this type of action. So it's a complicated issue. As every issue is that involves human beings, we don't have any easy issues. Have you noticed that? There are no issues that, that humans are involved in that are easy. So we have to, I think, first of all, elevate the level of our conversation. I would say that Cesar Grijalas is one of those examples of someone who can come onto a program where he could have been very contentious and instead he chose to engage in the conversation and we were able to get a lot of good information. Um, he shared good information. I did not know that they'd already calculated how much it would cost to do deportation. I thought it was just some round estimate. And there, there's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, a, a, a multi-pronged approach. 
So, you know, if you, if, if you talk to anyone, they'll say, well, we can't deport them all. Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, can you find every person in America who owes tax to the federal government? I think you can. Does the federal government collect taxes from every American who's eligible to pay them? Yeah. And that number's way more than 11 million. By orders of magnitude, babies, it's large. And the government doesn't flinch. They make sure and collect those tax dollars. So we can do anything we want to do. We are America. <laughs> Go online and type that in and see what comes up. You want to laugh. <laughs> we, there's, there was an article out about, um, I don't know if it's a parody or what, but it was supposed to be about the, um, the Trump doctrine of America first and what its slogan is. And they interviewed some people at the White House and they came up with something that's not appropriate for radio. But I couldn't help but be tickled by it because it's so... Well, it's, it's kind of Donald Trump. So anyway, um, I believe that we could solve this problem. I, I believe we could. I believe we could not only solve this problem, but that we could create something going forward that would not incentivize people to come here, that the American people are eminently more generous than any other nation on the face of this planet, and that if, if we were asked to, we could not only build a wall with private tax dollars and get it done in 12 months with private contractors, and that it wouldn't be a political issue, uh, of course, Democrats would try to stop it, but I'm saying it could be done. I believe we could, simultaneous to funding that wall privately and getting it built in 12 months, that we could also stand up individual programs in all of the countries that are currently sending thousands of their unaccompanied minors. We could stand up programs in those countries to radically change the lives of the people who live there. And we could do it all with private money. I don't just believe that. I know it's the truth. The question is, why don't we? We've been talking a long time, and now we're just fighting each other. We're just biting each other's faces off, metaphorically, on Twitter. Which, by the way, I've been so disgusted with it, I just, I'm like 30 seconds away from logging off of that puppy permanently. It's crazy. Anyway, that's the show for today. We actually ran out of time. We'll be back with more. You guys, find me online, and have a blessed evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.